This is not a typical Sunday morning message. Uh, I hate to say that. We should never confine God or put God in a box. Leonard Ravenhill said it best, by the way, and we'll say more of that here in just a little while, but the Lord would have us to preach on this thought this morning, quicken thou me. Quicken thou me. We find this in Psalm 119. Notice specifically in verse number 25. Psalm 119, verse number 25. You can sense the urgency and the heart cry that's given in this passage of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse number 25. He says, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. God, my soul clings. It's sticking to. It's been overtaken by and joined together with the dust. And you think of dust and you think of dirt, sand. It's been a long time since it's experienced water. It's been a long time since it's experienced rain. It's been a long time since there's been an outpouring of the sky, if you will, in which it's enjoyed what will bring it life and growth and fruit. And here was the man of God, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing these things, but he found himself in great need for revival. He said, my soul cleaveth under the dust. And I say this very carefully and respectfully and gently, but could this be an accurate picture of churches across our country today? What about this church? What about your life and your home and your marriage and your faith and your testimony for Christ? Could it be, even though on the outside we desire to put the best foot forward and have this run of religion about us in this form of godliness that the Bible speaks of and addresses and calls on the carpet in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, that deep down within we know that we can identify with this. And praise God that we've been saved for however many years. Maybe a short amount of time. If you're new as a believer in Christ, having trusted the Lord. But could it be that this is an accurate depiction and description of where we're at spiritually. I pray it's not. I pray that you're experiencing the outpouring of God. I pray that you're experiencing that rain, if you will, from the heavenly country and God moving and working where there's floods upon dry grounds, as we'll see in a little bit, and there's that outpouring of glory in your life. But he saw his state that he was in. He didn't dodge it. He didn't deny it. He didn't hide it. He didn't excuse it away. He saw it for what it was. It was filled with dust. It was lifeless. It was motionless. It was fruitless. It was void of spiritual growth, void of heaven's blessing. And he said, here I am, oh God. God, dry and dusty, parched and thirsty, and I come to you, crawling before you, utterly desolate and absolutely desperate. I need you. My soul cleaveth under the dust, and I'm tired of this. God, I want your showers of blessing. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers, we plead. As Isaiah 64 talks about it, and I love the text, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Or that thou wouldst rend the heavens. Thou wouldst come down, and by the way, that text of Isaiah 64 claimed by many revival 
uh, believers and Christians and churches all throughout church history as they've prayed and claimed for God to do a work in their lifetime and in their community and in their generation. By the way, this corresponds with what we see in Psalm 63. We'll come back to Psalm 119, but keep your finger here, as I will do with my pinky, and then go join with me to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, we find something very similarly described in this passage of Scripture, Psalm 63. He says, notice in verse number 1 and verse number 2, Oh God. You know what's fascinating? These first two words imply something. When you're reading the book of Psalm, many times when you see, O Lord, that expression, O Lord is an expression of praise. Lord! And many times, not all the time, but most of the time when you find, O Lord, it's it's a praise. But when you come across the words and the phrase, O God... It is a plea. Oh God, thou art my God. There's a whole lot of preach to this text. and I want to stop and linger, but maybe as a homework assignment, you can study it. That you would apply this, you'd pray this, you'd plea this. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Notice, what is he thirsty for and hungry for, desiring and yearning and longing for in his life? To see thy power and thy glory. God, I want to see rent heavens and I want to experience the outpouring, oh God, of your power coming down and anointing and inundating and sweeping through my own life and my own home. Uh, God, my church and, and those around me, oh God, I want to see it in my community. I want to see the power of God on display, oh God. I want to witness it. I want to see it with my own God-given eyeballs. I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of reading about it. I'm tired of talking about it. I want to experience it see thy power and thy glory the glory of god radiating in the presence of god just overflowing a region we need this again we need this back in psalm 119 we only turn to psalm 63 just for a moment for application from another text a similar heart cry my soul cleaveth unto the dust now lord we need you that's why we're here we ask for your moving We ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would have great liberty, that your word would have free course. Jesus, all of us this morning desire for you to have preeminence, high and lifted up. You are worthy of receiving power, riches, wisdom, honor, glory, and blessing. We devote our full attention unto thee. I pray that you would help us as we observe this text where areas may apply to us, God, that we would welcome your stirring. Allow these things to resonate within us that they would fix broken places and breaches within us. God, we would walk away today stirred, strengthened, but also transformed, changed, Lord. Different perspective. Going forward, desiring revival. We need your touch, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He says in Psalm 119, my soul cleaveth unto the dust. He acknowledged his state. Quicken thou me according to thy word. This word quicken here is the exact same Old Testament Hebrew word for revive. They're used interchangeably means to bring back to life, to restore and live again. 
You could jot down this this morning. He said, quicken thou me. He didn't say quicken thou us or quicken thou my church or my community or my nation, but it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And the thing that we could jot down here as we readily apply this text to ourselves, he understood that he as an individual needed revival. He needed to be refreshed. He needed to be renewed. He needed to be restored. He needed to be reignited. Whatever aspect of revival you want to consider this morning, he understood that he needed revival. Oh, God, I was once alive, but now I'm dead and lethargic or I'm dying in apathy. I see myself needing life again. The truth of the matter is, as long as we individually are content to live without revival, we will. Revival will never become a reality unless it first becomes a necessity. Oh God, my soul cleaveth under the dust. Quicken thou, O me, O God, I understand individually my need for revival. My need for the inundation of thy spirit. Thy need for the outpouring of glory in my life, O God. It's not the church that needs revival. It's me that needs revival. It's not a nation that needs to come back to you. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, that needs to be touched from on high. The question needs to be asked this morning. Do we see our personal need for God moving and working in our lives or do we think that we're good? You see, this I'm good mentality is dangerous. This was the problem with the church of Laodicea. They were lukewarm, the Bible says. God says, I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot. I wish you were one or the other. You know why? God can do something with a cold church. He can bring revival to a cold church. Isaiah 64 talks about that, where it's talking about melting uh, the ice and melting the, the heart, all these things. God can do a work in a cold life. God can do a work in a hot life, a church that's on fire for God, and just as a fire will crave more gasoline and never refuse it. Now, don't do it. That's not smart to throw gasoline on a fire, but that's what the Holy Spirit desires to do, being a consuming fire. It's not just a little flicker, a little flash in the pan, but it's a of God. That's what he desires to do. And let go and let him do that work in your life. He wants to a consuming fire that consumes you. And we mentioned this morning, uh, even concerning how his word uh, can give us that stirring and give us that fire that burns down deep within us. The latest in church was lukewarm. They were not cold or hot. They were settled in a place of self-sufficiency. We've got this thing in the bag. We're not like these other churches that are completely dead as a doornail. No, we got ministries and we got soul winning and we have this and we have that and so on and so forth. I don't know about all these radical, crazy people. You know, they're like reckless abandonment, you know, and just, nope, nope, nope. But, you know, we've got a level head about this thing called church. And God said, you don't even realize it. You're blind. You're naked, you're destitute, you're depraved, you don't have the touch, you need the anointing, it's been a long time since you've had it, and please, you've kicked me to the curb. And there in Revelation 3.20, we find the verse, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, I will sup with him, and he with me. The church, and that's a verse that we apply for salvation, but it's not a salvation verse. It's a verse about revival. It's a verse to a church that's backslidden all reality and needs desperately the presence and power of God. And they're trying to go through the motions of their religion with this I'm good mentality. And God is saying, you've kicked me to the curb. You're rendering unto me lip service, and there's worship within your walls. But I am not present among you. If any man, which shows that revival can break through with just one person, thoroughly and radically desiring to get right with God and seek the Lord, as we even mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour, the psalmist understood that he needed revival. The I'm good mentality is dangerous. I don't, I don't need that preaching. I don't need to read my Bible. It's something complimentary that I can just access whenever I need it and leaf through it and thumb through it. I don't need the application of God's word. I'm fine with how I am. I'm the model Christian. Everyone should pattern their lives and their walk with God after mine. I don't need to come to the altar. I don't need to go soul winning. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I pray this morning that this is not true among any of us here and this message is not preached because it is true. That's between you and God and only you know the truth to it. And could it be that we're satisfied, as we mentioned a moment ago, with self-sufficiency? We're satisfied with an appearance of spirituality without the reality of it. And things have grown cold and our hearts have become calloused. Our lives are actually complacent. We're pleased with business as usual instead of seeing our need for the unusual business of revival. Could it be that we're guilty of going through the motions uh, without an obvious sense of God's presence and power upon our lives? By the way, you can engage in religious activities in the flesh. We mentioned that in the Sunday school hour. May I ask this morning, do hours and days go by without thinking of Christ? Is Bible reading a chore? Is spending time in prayer an obligatory inconvenience? Is worship joyless and formal and dry and lifeless? I'm not talking about putting the devil's beat into the music. I'm talking about a heart that is so overwhelmed with the goodness and the grace and the gospel of God that it's something in which maybe I don't know how to sing on a pitch or a note, but I'm going to make a joyful noise. And there is a noise. It's something that can be heard. A noise is something that's heard. Are we not easily moved by the preaching of God's word? Does your heart no longer burst with conviction? Is the touch of God missing upon your life, the power of the Holy Ghost? Has the divine fire for service gone out? Are we more defined by what we do than who we are in our relationship with Christ? And there's so many things else that could be mentioned. And this man said, I see my need for revival. Quicken thou me. I see that I need revival. And God, thank you for pointing this out in my life. I hang my head with shame that I'm in need of it, but I acknowledge it. And please do your igniting work within me. We see number two. He understood that only God could bring revival. Quicken thou me. He couldn't create revival. He could not manufacture or manipulate revival. I'm concerned that the problem in America is many are trying to generate 
a revival. But revival cannot be manufactured. It's something that only can be manifested by God's hand in our hearts. Notice he wasn't talking to other people. He wasn't even talking to the preacher. He was talking to God. Quicken thou me. If you come to the services this week, which I, I beg of you to be here Sunday night, that the, uh, the attendance would only grow. That, that's, that should be a given. And so much the more. And throughout this week, understanding this has been on the schedule for a long time, and we're making a precedent of this as a church body. Not for the sake of the preacher, but individually to see what God can do in my life to bring me to the next phase, the next level, to ignite my heart with a greater purpose and passion to go forward and reaching this world and my community for Christ while there's still time before it's too late. But if you come, and I don't believe anybody has, very radical message, an unconventional sermon this morning, that's okay. God's telling me to preach it. I'll preach it. Yes, sir. But if you come desiring to be spoon-fed, preacher, give me revival, you're coming for the wrong reasons. I cannot give you revival. A song, and so many, uh, they want to uh, let the pastor spoon feed them, and they want the choir and the special music to stir them, and they want the guest preacher to spoon them with some awesome sport story or some sermonette or something like that, you know. And they, they're seeking revival from men when revival can only fr- come from God. And that is why I'm concerned that Christians and even churches are flatlining and they're dying because they're not seeking the Lord for revival. I presume that this week has been bathed in prayer corporately but individually. That if there was to be a track record seen of your prayer, even just this week, that it has been something that is all-consuming. Not a general prayer in which, oh God, please do something at the church, and I hope the messages are good, and this and that and the other, and we have a good time. I'm a little worried right now because it's 12.04. Does the preacher see the clock in the back? Yes, I'm watching the clock for you. Oh Lord, please do a work in me. Revival. Personal revival is when I thoroughly get right with God and I thoroughly am stirred by the Spirit of God. And corporate revival is when a majority of those around me have experienced personal revival. National revival is when a vast majority of churches experience corporate revival filled with people experiencing individual revival. This is something for every person in this room. He understood that only God could bring revival. I love Psalm 85, verse number 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? Same word that's used for quicken. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Oh, God, we want to feel again and live again with excitement and joy that only you can give and generate. Number three, he understood, and this is just drawn from this text. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. He understood, number three, that he had no control over when God would bring revival. Or how God would bring revival. But he passionately prayed until heaven moved again in his heart and life. You realize that in Psalm 119, this man prays, quicken me or quicken thou me nine times. It's a reoccurring theme on his heart. And he understood, point number three, very long point. He understood that he had no control over when God would bring revival or how God would bring revival. But he passionately prayed until heaven moved again in his heart and life. May God do the same work within us in which we will pray and grab a hold, so to speak, of the horns of the altar and seek God for that touch and that 
stirring and that moving within us until it comes and not just pray for a moment in passing and then be done with it. Well, God didn't speak. I guess we'll go on. But rather, as you study the track record of revivals throughout church history, you'll find that people begged God and sought the Lord and kept on imploring him and desiring for mercy and a sweeping movement and an inundation of God's presence and power even through conviction and the repentance of sins for God to do something supernatural and heavenly and transformative in their very midst of themselves and that God did a work around them as he saw fit. And they prayed until the answer came. In Sunday school, we gave one of those stories and how that could be replicated throughout the centuries of time. He understood he needed revival. He understood only God could bring revival. He was one who prayed and kept on praying until revival came. Because he had no idea when God would bring it, but he wanted to make sure that he was there. And when God did that reviving work, his heart could be reignited. His life could be right with God. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, we, we come in at 11 and we go out at 12 and the Holy Ghost must come when we open the door of the church and when we leave and when we lock it. We lay down our conditions. Come, Holy Ghost, for thee we call, Spirit of burning, come, but come our way. Holy Ghost, come, but, but please don't violate our theology. Don't upset our status quo. Don't break our hearts over a lost world. Here was a man who didn't mince words. <laughs> Rather, he said it what needed to be said. He understood that he had no control over revival or when God would bring it or how God would bring it. But he passionately prayed until heaven moved again in his heart and his life, even if it meant nine times. Quicken thou me. You know what I find number four here is this. He understood that revival began with open humility. He was swallowing his pride. It took a man of humility to say this. Here's a psalmist, a leader of the people, a man revered even in his generation, admired possibly by the people, by his peers, and he's openly testifying and acknowledging that he needs revival. He understood that revival began with open humility and expressing his need for revival publicly before the Lord and others. This is not something that's a private message. This is a public message. This is something that we are reading as a church this morning, thousands of years later, quicken thou me according to thy word. And this was a man who was willing to swallow his pride and his arrogance and come down off of his little spiritual high, if you will, and express his need to others. I need the touch of God. May the Lord help us to have a free and frank exchange and interchange with each other. So you know what? Pray for me. I need revival. Pray for me. I need the touch of God. Pray for me. I want to feel God stir in my heart. I'm tired with the apathetic. I'm tired with the uh, Laodicean. I'm tired with the lukewarm. I'm done going through the motions. I understand God has a purpose for my life, and I want to be used of God. Uh, I don't care about money anymore. I don't care about a career anymore. I don't care about accumulations anymore or the accolades of men anymore. All those things, as Paul said, are but dung to me. I want to win Christ. I want to know what it is to have the power of God in my life. I want to be engaged in his will. I want to see souls saved and a nation brought back. I desire for God to do a work in my generation. Or are we content with business as usual? 
no apparent manifestation of God. Maybe some of this is completely foreign to you this morning. I presume it's not. It's not foreign. It's found in Scripture. If it's foreign to you, don't let it be foreign to you any longer. I believe that a church, an individual, will never experience heaven-sent revival until we become broken over our need for it. And with humility, express this need, not only privately to the Lord, but also publicly to others around us. The want to is what we're talking about here. He was public about his need and his desire. True revival is not found in a place. It's found in a position. That position is on our knees in full humility before the Lord in prayer and even before others, begging them to pray with us for the touch of God upon our lives again. Number five, and lastly, quicken thou me according to thy word. If you were to take the time and read the other verses in which he cries out, quicken me, we'll see various aspects of what he's desiring and what he's needing revival in. Number five, here's the, here's the point. He understood that having a desire for revival was a good first step, but it wasn't the only step. He realized there were specific areas where he needed help from the Lord which God needed to do a stirring work. He understood that having a desire for revival was a good first step, but this, this was not the only step. He didn't say, quicken thou me, period. Quicken thou me according to thy word. It was not the only step. He realized there were specific areas where he needed help from the Lord. That's what God desires to do in a week of meetings. If a preacher obeys the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, which I vow to you, I will seek to do this. Because that's the sort of preaching you deserve. Not something that's pulled out of a suitcase and preached just because, yeah, it's a good message, with no thought toward it. But you deserve a message that has been labored over in prayer and preparation, which humbly I come before you. I'm just but an earthen vessel. I stand behind this pulpit And I understand the sobriety and the sincerity of the great burden that has been placed upon me this week to preach messages. And I engage in this week with all seriousness, desiring God to begin this work in me, that God would also be delighted in doing a work in you as well, wherever the application is needed to be given individually. Having a desire is wonderful, and that's the first step. Is there even a desire in this room, in your heart? I presume so. Man looketh on the outward, but God sees the heart. On the outside, someone may be all swinging from the chandeliers about revival, but inside, they're nowhere close desiring the genuine movement of God. I've been in many places like that. I don't say that in condemnation. It's just true. I thank the Lord for a pastor that has a desire for revival, for a people who I believe that have the same heart, And people that understand that just having a desire 
is good and it's a first step and it's needed, but it's not the only thing. Now, as we see this need for revival, this renew, refresh, reigniting in our heart, this restoring, this reconciliation in our life that we now will allow God to specify areas in which we need help and we will let God do that work and we desire for him to revive us again. In Psalm 119, he talks about various things in which he needs revival. He talked about his word. God, revive me according to thy word. I need revival in the area of thy principles. Verse number 37, quicken thou me in thy way. I need to be revived in the area of thy path, your way for my life. God, what is it that you have for me? I want to be revived in this area. I've lost my desire to go your way. Please lead me. Here's my life. I'm going to let you and you alone take control. Quicken thou me in thy way. Lord, not my will, but your will be done in earth. God, revive me in this area. I've been resistant to being surrendered and yielded to your will. And God, I'm done with that. I want your path for my life. In verse number 40, he talks about being revived. Uh, 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 let's see, get over here to verse number 40. Uh, right there, quicken me in thy righteousness. Thy righteousness, God, concerning thy purity. Lord, thy righteousness and, and the way you'd have me to live my life and, and conduct myself, Lord, in this walk, in this, this conversation as I am here upon this earth. Uh, help me to understand how you'd have me to conduct myself. And Lord, it needs to be something in which I'm quickened, I'm revived in thy righteousness, thy purity, thy holiness. Oh God, things have become carnal in my life. And Lord, you desire to weed things out and take out influences and areas and aspects that are contrary to what you would have in all your splendor and glory and righteousness. God, convict me and revive me. Thy principles, thy path, thy purity. Thy perspective, verse number 149. Verse number 149, he talks about this. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Judgment is understanding the difference between right and wrong. Judgment. We have some judges that don't know how to do that in our land. But we know that God is unbiased and God is truth. His word is truth. Judgment. God knows the difference between right and wrong. He knows what's best. And instead of me doing that which is right in my own eyes, I need to be surrendered and submissive unto his perspective. Lord, what's the wisdom that you got from me? Thy judgment. God, I want to see as you see the difference between right and wrong and not do what's wrong and do what's right in your will, in your work, following your way. God, I beg of you, I need revival in this area. Revival in thy perspective. Renew and refresh my focus and my discernment. Help me to clearly see and engage and do what's right in all my choices and directions and decisions. Being led of God in this area. And lastly, he needed revival. Notice verse number 159, verse number 159, and we're just giving us some of the verses. He did repeat himself throughout this text nine times saying different things, but it's fascinating. Each time, uh, among these nine, uh, some of them were the same, some of them were different, some of them were, were repetitive. He said, notice, oh, I love thy command, thy precepts, quicken me according to thy loving kindness. I need a revival in this area of thy love. This is a wonderful thing to conclude in this morning. I suppose we could use the word passion for this thought of loving kindness. Quicken me 
according to and after thy loving kindness. God, it blows my mind that you're passionate about me, that you love me more than anything else. That you love me so much that you left behind the splendors of glory and you're thrown on high. You humbled yourself and you came to this earth to die for my sins so that I could have everlasting life. And I found in my heart that I have grown cold. I've been losing my awe and I've been losing my passion for your love. May I ask something, something gently this morning? Has the wonder worn off? What Jesus did for us on Calvary is it something that has become mundane or commonplace or ordinary? Salvation again, Jesus again, the gospel again, yada, 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 yada. No. I presume that every single one of us in this, mor- this room this morning, you're saved every day you wake up. You've not gotten over what Jesus has done for you. Or have you? No wonder David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, as we preached this morning in Sunday school in Psalm 51. God, I've lost the joy. I've lost the passion. Oh, God, your love doesn't mean to me what it used to mean. Oh, God, I need to be revived, refreshed and renewed and rekindled in this area of my life. Wonder has worn off. If the wonder of his love wears off and we lose that perspective of his passion toward us, we will lose our passion for him. We love him. The statement is given because why? He first loved us. And this word love that's used all throughout scripture there in the New Testament many times frequently is the word agape, even in 1 John 4, where we just quoted, we love him because he first loved us. It's the word agape. And the word agape, to just nutshell it here, is to have a fascination, captivation, and infatuation. It's something that rejoices the heart. There's a thrill. There is a head over heels man just so exhilarated about that other person. Amen. You find a couple madly in love, right? There is a captivation for that other person. There is an infatuation for that other person. There is a fascination with that other person. That is God's love toward you. And that's never going to change. And that's how our love toward God should be. Could it be that I don't passionately love him the way I should, the way I get to? Praise God. But I don't because I've forgotten how passionately he does genuinely love me. And the psalmist said, oh God, revive me according to the loving kindness. God, the wonder has worn off. And no longer am I driven to delight and desire. Rather, I'm being driven in this Christian life by duty. And folks, that will ultimately deteriorate into a display. Many revivals in church history were born out of people falling back in love with Jesus Christ afresh and anew. And he acknowledged he needed help in this area. He swallowed his pride concerning it, and he publicly even shared with others, I need to be reignited. Pray for me and help me. I want God's touch in this area. 
very multifaceted message. It's a heavy message. Not a typical Sunday morning message. 